0: A series for the last few weeks we're going to continue that on uh, today and then next week, and then after that, I think we're about a week away from starting our new series and uh, but we want to uh, continue to talk about this topic of prayer, grasping the heart of God. and so uh, I want you to turn to the biggest book in the Bible, and it's about midway through some of you are starting to chatter around what is the biggest book of the Bible right? And uh, it's in the middle, you can almost just uh, take and open up almost equally to the middle of the book where we're going to be. We're going to be in Psalms 119. This is the longest chapter in the Bible, and um, it has uh, 176 verses. And so I want you to go Psalms 119, and I'm going to start in verse 97. Verse 97. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Bible is not originally written with chapter and verse. Those were added later so that we could navigate like today. It's helpful for us. Um, And this particular chapter is written uh, like. Poetry, And it has eight verse stanzas. And so each individual, each eight verses kind of stand on its own. But then they all link together in this one chapter in Psalms 119. So we're going to look at two stanzas. We're going to look at um, 97 through 104 and then 105 through one. 12 if you're visiting on our online campus or joining us on our online campus we're so glad that you're gathered with us Uh, uh, so that means mute the computer Uh, I'm not sure where that came from just mute the main computer uh, and uh, we'll make sure that happens again at some point Um, so just glad that wasn't at the end aren't you Uh, uh, that's not the worst i've actually ended an easter service and the fire alarm go off right uh so uh, that was a that was uh, some dramatic effect and uh you need fire insurance anyways uh right. So, uh, hey, if you are gathering on the online campus, we're so glad that you are gathering with us, but if you can get here in person, get here. I know that some of you use it supplemental when things are going on, you're there, you're here, but as often as you can, uh, be here in person because uh, someone needs your story as much as you need someone else's, amen? Amen. And life is better together, amen? So let's look at this uh, passage in Psalms 119. Uh, verse 97. You can say amen when you're there. 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precept. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way maybe a famous passage that you're familiar with or verse your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path i've sworn an oath and i've confirmed it to keep your righteous rules i am severely afflicted give me life o lord according to your word accept my free will offering of praise o lord and teach me your rules i hold my life in my hand continually but i do not forget your law The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace today that we would see you and know you all the more. Let us today, as we set aside the Lord's Day, this Sunday, the first day of the week, let it set the precedent for the rest of the week. Let us start by meditating on who you are. And Jesus, help us to understand how you make things work. We ask for your grace and let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, so I was listening to this famous podcaster, and I'll change his name for the sake of discretion. His, uh, we'll call him Joe. And uh, so I was listening to Joe Rogan, and... Uh, and he, he had a comedian on there, Tim Dillon, and I'm not recommending anything. Uh, I'm not sponsored by them. I'm not suggesting you should view with discretion and you should view it when your kids are not around. Amen. Amen. Three of you, <laughs> like, uh, my son comes in the room, go in the other room. Uh, daddy's working. And, uh, and sometimes yeah, people ask me, well, why, do you, why do you watch that? It, well, one, it's an examination of the culture. When I, when I look at the scriptures, I'm exegeting, which is a, a term for uh, kind of breaking down the biblical text and looking at how things fit together. And from a historical standpoint, I'm exegeting the text. But then I've got to exegete the audience. I said, where, where's that? i got to undercover where we are as a culture. The most famous podcast in the world where people sit and listen to a conversation that is three hours long. So I don't want to hear anything about my 40-minute sermon going too long. All right. <laughs> So no, know you guys are rocking hour-long podcast, right? And, and, and yet, uh, I, I was listening uh, just recently to this episode, and, and, and they were beginning to talk about the conflict going on in our culture. Maybe you've not noticed it. And uh, how people are divided on all sides. And they were beginning to talk about hot-button topics, one of those being abortion. And they were talking about uh, when, when it's okay and when it's not okay. And, and just recently, R- Joe Rogan had on... Uh, Uh, The CEO of the Babylon Bee, maybe you're familiar with the Christian satire website, uh, that has become uh, extremely popular to the point where uh, Joe Rogan was suggesting that the reason why Elon Musk was buying Twitter uh, was because Twitter had banned the Babylon Bee. And uh, they said, well, I don't think Elon Musk is trying to save uh, Bab- the Babylon Bee, but it did cause him to go, hey, wait a second, we're, we're censoring Christian satire and there are terrorist organizations still allowed on a platform. So they're talking about uh, this deal, and, and, and again, the topic of abortion came up, and, and I, let me encourage you to, uh, to watch this episode with, with Seth Dillon, uh, the CEO of the Babylon Bee, who gives one of the strongest in a heated debate uh, with uh, the most popular podcaster in the world. He gives one of the best defenses from a biblical perspective Uh, in order to be pro-life it is an incredible uh, and and I would encourage you if this is something you wrestle with I would encourage you to listen to this and the reasons for it but then the next episode he's on there with a secular comic who's also bringing up issues where they're trying to figure out when is something as horrific as abortion when when are they okay as a culture when are we okay with this and and to hear two men are far from Christianity begin to debate on what they think subjectively when something is wrong or right And, and, and then their conclusion was this their conclusion was we need aliens to come in and calm us all down like brothers fighting with each other like hey knock it off and tell us what we need to do and this is the most popular podcast on the planet Let that give you pause the next time you use pop culture as a defense for your argument. Somebody say amen to that. But here's the premise. One of, one of the ways I prepare for sermons is thinking about the arguments, the, the sides that people have, the debates that people have. I don't assume that when you come in here, you just agree with me. I, I don't want group think. I don't want you to come in here and go, Pastor Sam, tell us how to live. I want to help you think. I want to help you journey. I want to give you tools to go hunting for truth. And I'm convinced that if you go hunting, you will grow up because babies, when they're hungry look for someone to feed them when you're an adult you look for something to eat and so if you're mature in the faith let me tell you you need to go hunting for truth don't sit on your laurels don't don't sit on how mama and them raised me that's how we say where we're from how that's how mom and them did it all right that's how my mother raised me. That's how my father raised me. You have a responsibility to seek truth for yourself. So don't use pop culture for that. You have to ask, what is ancient? What, what has stood the test of time? But here was their premise. Here's something in them. Here, here's what is true. Here's what I try to do when I think of, when I'm talking to somebody maybe who's at odds with me, and maybe this gives you a tool, a coworker or someone Here's what I try to do. I find a, the intersection, and I'm not talking about intersectionality or critical race theory. I'm talking about the intersection for truth. I'm talking about where does their opinion and truth intersect? Where can I say yes, but? Where can I say, yeah, 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 but the Bible's been saying it this way for thousands of years. So what did they say? They said, we need someone outside of us because we're terrible at refing our own game. How many of you uh, uh, grew up playing sports? How many of you still try to play sports, right? It's worse when we're growing. How many of you try to ref your own softball game? How does that work, right? Does that ever end terribly, right? How many of you ever ref your own basketball game, right? How many of you uh, try to jump in uh, uh, too much at the Little League games? We know. <laughs> How many of you are that AYSO parent that we're all like, come on, calm down. They're, they're five, okay, right? Uh, wh- what, what Rogan is getting to and Seth Dillon we're getting to is we're terrible at refereeing our own Game, Or in other words, we need someone outside of us, something transcendent above us. Now, they're mine. And this is what's interesting, although I'll hear times when Rogan uh, dabbles and steps on a Christian worldview all the time. But yet they'll say things like this. I believe there's something outside of us. For them, they say aliens, extraterrestrials, uh, species, beings that are not of this world. We need them to come down here and show us the way. (laughs) Blinded by the light. Anyways. uh, Right? See, sometimes people, the, the truth will be right in front of them. You go, why do they not accept it? And I have to trust the Lord in, in his sovereignty and what he's doing. But here's what I begin to think about. It is when human beings try to set the standard for how human beings should be on their own, everything becomes subjective. Everything is what he said or what she said. And, and all of a sudden we have no standard for truth. And we try to figure out how things should work, how human relationships should work. How should we think about this issue? And how should we think about that issue? And why can't we all just get along? We think that way. We're trying to figure out who's going to help us. And then we get to passages like this. Verse 97 says this. Oh, how I love your law. How many of you say that from time to time? You say, oh, how I love... Your law. See what we quickly think when we think about the law. You think about breaking the law because you're late and you got to get to Lompoc, and you're and you're hoping that someone who is uh, enforcing those laws uh, when you're pulled over and, and the police officer pulls up to give you a ticket. You don't go, oh wow, I love your law, <laughs> right? You don't think like that. What we do is we're conditioned to think laws are restrictive. We are conditioned to think laws are evil. We are conditioned to think laws are bad. But when the psalmist says this, oh, how I love your law. He's not talking about the laws in which we think. He's talking about the law that is transcendent above our moment, that stands the test of time. When he talks about laws, he's talking about the law of nature in human beings, that human beings tend to be this way or need to go that way, or in other words, what they ought to be. But when when the psalmist says that, what do you think of it? It's it's like the laws of of nature, right? What goes up must come down. An object in motion has a tendency to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. And the inverse is true. You see, I spotted out the athletes. You know, when I was like, "How many of you played sports?" Okay. Right. Anyways, uh, right. Um, we think about the laws of gravity as if this is how it works. I don't think good or bad. I just simply say, that's how things work. Everything like you trip and fall. You, you don't get ticked at gravity. You just go, that's how it Right. And, and then you understand that this is how everything is held Together, the whole universe is held together by these laws. And if you're thinking from an apologetic standpoint, you're thinking about a defense of the faith. This is what we call the fine tuning of the universe. That the universe is so fine tuned, like that soundboard back there. And could you imagine going back to the soundboard and think about how many, uh, how many different variables? We we got times where we miss out on the on the online campus. We forget a a, a mic that's not. Hopefully, I'm not muted. To today and I won't have anyone texting me later like hey for the first five minutes of your sermon it looked like a pantomime and uh right uh, but if you were to go back to the soundboard and you were just to start moving things around do you think it would work if you did it at random Now think about that if you just started doing things at random and think that somehow you could come into some type of divine designed way of being at random. That things could somehow just happen in a way that was suitable for this experience. That that you realize that the experience we have here is is design. Where the chairs are, how it sounds. You have other people behind the scenes making things work. And it does not happen by random. It happens by design. It happens with intention. Well, that's the idea of the universe. That the universe is so uniquely and intently designed that it's as if you had uh, these thousands of little dials like a soundboard and every single one of them would have to be just right in order for there to be life and sustain life and for us to have life in this universe. Now, it's not that one of these have to be right. It's that all of these have to be right at the exact same time. And if in any one of those are off, then life is not suitable for the universe. This is called the idea of fine tuning, and this is a defense for a designer in the universe, that what we experience as life could not be by accident or random because if you were to just go up and move one, of if a child was to stumble into the sound booth and move any one of those knobs, then it renders all of the other knobs obsolete. This is the fine tuning of the universe. So then, if the universe is fine-tuned, if the universe is dialed in such a way that that it allows for life, then that means that you are designed with intention and purpose. You, as a human being that stands head and shoulders above all creation, you have language, you have insight, you have imagination, you have self-awareness, and you are far different than any other being in creation you go well we're not the strongest or the fastest right uh, but here's the idea is you're not uh, building houses Uh, you're building houses other creatures are not building elaborate works of art maybe they have a shelter but they're not building a cathedral Uh, they they may uh, work in function you you may look at a beehive and think of the complexity of a beehive or look at an anthill and think about all the caverns but they're not sending rockets to the moon you, you may look at a, a chimpanzee and say, well, well, that chimpanzee has language. It, talk, it does not talk. It does sign language, and it says poop, okay? <laughs> right? It's not, it's, not sh- it's not shooting satellite images around the globe. Human beings are different. Human beings are made in the image of God. You are designed uniquely with intention and with purpose there is a designer you were designed by him and he put his image on you and he designed you in a certain way how to work and the question is will I listen will I heed his words Because even the most agnostic among us, even those who are searching for theories about how the universe should work are saying, you know what we need? We need someone outside of us to come here and and, and tell us all to knock it off and show us the way. And I would say, actually, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And he was the light of men. And his life shines into the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. This is what the Bible says. That there is someone who came and lived among us. Transcendent above us. Outside of us. Who shows us the way. And Jesus says these words. I am the way. When you go. You go. How does life work Jesus says I am the I'm the way it works I am the way the truth and the life he is telling us that, uh, that no matter what your perspective is, your perspective has to morph and change to the image of who Jesus is. See, the psalmist begins to say this Oh, how I love how you make things work, and I meditate on it all day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditations. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your precepts I get un- through your precepts I get understanding therefore I hate every false way your word is a lamp unto my feet a light unto my path I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules I am severely afflicted Give me life, O Lord, according to your word, accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my her- heritage forever, for you are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Do you ever read stuff or hear things like that, and it creates this little bit of anxiety for you? Because you realize when you read it that although that may be your desire, you can't quite live up to it. Is it just the pastor? Just reading that and going, oh no, right? Like, I'm gonna do day and night all day every day i'm'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep up I'm, I'm going to always keep my my feet from evil like does he know what I did last week He knows <laughs> right how many how many of you feel that way? you feel like that you feel that anxiety and and then sometimes what happens you get preachers like this go you know what life you know what the Bible is you got to think about this every day all day don't don't touch it don't think about it don't even look at it don't even get close to it right H- how many of you have Felt the anxiety of that. What if? What if I told you that all this, although this passage is good for you, it's not primarily about you. You narcissist. You thought it was about you, right? Right. You're getting all anxious. Right? You were putting those words in your mouth and thinking that you could live up to them. Right? Because here's what the problem is. When we read the Bible, like we do everything else, we think it's a story about us. Right? You think you're in a movie and I'm the southern preacher in your movie. Right? And if you don't like it, talk to casting. Okay? All right? And yet... What if I told you the Bible is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk? I've heard this somewhere before. What if I told you that every passage in the Bible was all about Jesus. What if I told you what it, that you could picture, although these are are great for us but it gives us a different perspective because when we look at we've been talking about this when we look at the old testament what helps us understand the old testament is we live in the gospels and look back at the old testament and we begin to see it through the lens of jesus what if i told you the psalms was a prayer book but put together the genius of how it's put together it's as if they had some help you'll get that later As they put it together, it actually tells us the history of the people of God. And we can see the story as you begin to dive into all the nuances in language and how it journeys us through the children of Israel all the way up to the point where they're looking forward towards the person of Jesus. So here's what's happened: The Psalms is a songbook. It's a prayer book their prayers, but what they were praying for was looking forward to when Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and change everything. He would show them just how things work. He, he would set everything just right. When they look at the world, they go, no, this is off. The world seems to be bent. It, it seems as though the world is a little crooked. You ever notice that? See, see, human beings are the only thing in creation. We talk about the created order. Human beings are the only thing we think of in terms of what he ought to be versus what he is. That's why science alone cannot tell you meaning and purpose and reality because science cannot tell me what ought to be. Science can only tell me and describe what is cannot tell me what ought to be so even the terms the idea of being crooked tells me that it's off plumb it's off standard there is a standard or a way in which it should go and things went off do you remember um you remember the prophet dr seuss remember that guy my kids used to watch uh the lorax and uh and thankfully, we don't watch that six times a day anymore. Uh, but it got stuck in my head. Uh, and there, there's this one scene where the, the Lorax asks the Onesler, which way does a tree fall? And, and the Onesler answers back and he says, well, a tree falls down. And the Lorax says, no, no, no. A tree falls the way it leans. So be careful which way you lean. See, here's the idea. What the psalmists are looking at, they're saying, I'm looking at the world and it seems as though the world is not what it ought to be. When I listen to the most famous podcast in the world, those podcasters are saying, the world is not the way it ought to be. And then question, how do I know what ought to be? See, the psalmist writes this, prophetically looking forward to when Jesus would come and show us this way, the the way, the truth, and the life. And so when I read this passage, imagine as if this is a prayer from Jesus. Imagine Jesus praying this prayer. Imagine the person of Jesus allowing these words to come out of his mouth. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Think about all the people who tried to outfox and trick Jesus. Think about all the enemies he, who would come who would try to ensnare him. And he would give answers that were wiser than any of them. They would try to trick him to make him sin or do something against the Romans. To, to try to do something against the Jewish law. And yet he never sinned, not Once, And yet he was wise at every answer to the point where Pontius Pilate stands before Jesus and I wash my hands of him because I can find no fault. You make me wiser than my enemies for is it ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers. Think about the story of Jesus in the temple when he's a young boy, 12 years old. He astounds the teachers as a young boy. People cannot understand where he came from. Where does he get this knowledge? Where does he get this example? Where does he get all of the things that he knows? And yet then the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him in the night, ask him questions. question, teacher, teacher. He's a, the son of a carpenter who people barely know who he is. He's from where? Nazareth? Nothing good could come out of Nazareth not wisdom and understanding uh, not not in a way in which this boy talks with all authority who gives him this authority for I have more understanding than my teachers for your testimonies are my meditations I understand more than the aged the teachers of the law will come and he'll make this statement he'll say before Abraham was I and they go you're barely 35 like you're not even 35 yet I'm 35 I'm older than Jesus okay so anyone talking about young pastor whatever I'm older than Jesus okay all right <laughs> right and they're going wait a second no 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 well, you, you're a young man you, you're 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 barely in your 30s and you're saying you're older than Abraham? You came before? Why was? Why were they saying that? Because it was as if he had all wisdom and all knowledge, and it wasn't about his age and the present. It seemed as though he had information and abilities that were beyond his age. It says... I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Think about the temptation of Jesus. Think about how the enemy tries to trick Jesus. And and, and he says, turn this stone into bread. And he says, no, no, no. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. I keep my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What a slap in the face of the enemy that he says, no, here's my food, here's what I eat, here's how I live, by the words of God. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Think about him going into the temple and turning over the tables. Think about him him angry at those who would deceive and hurt the oppressed and the poor. Then he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Think about this. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteousness rules think about him in the garden of Gethsemane praying think about him praying and saying oh Lord if in, if there be any way take this cup from me but not my will but your will I've sworn an oath and I've confirmed it I will do what I've set out to do then it says this I'm severely afflicted give me life O oh Lord Think about Jesus on the cross crying out. Think about him saying, I thirst. Think about all that had, had, had been done to him. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Then he says this accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord. What was the cross? An offering to God. For what? For us. For all the times that we read this and we were completely anxious in our inability to keep it all the times we think yes I want to do what's right but yet I do not I I, I find this law to be true that my life is a Britney Spears song oops I did it again right that's my life how about you I want to do what's right but that's not who will set me free from the law of sin and death and I read Psalms 119 and I hear the prayer of God the prayer of Jesus I hold my life accept my free will offering of praise O Lord and teach me your rules I hold my life in my hand continually but I do not forget your law. Having the power to lay down his life. Pilate says, aren't you going to beg for your life? He says, no, 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 no. I freely give my life. He has his life in his hands and he chooses to lay it down. The wicked have laid a snare for me. He's going to be betrayed in the middle of the night. They're going to give him a kiss. They've laid a snare for him. But he says, I do not stray from your precepts. For your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. When I think about the Bible being a story about Jesus, and I think Jesus is able to keep every law Jesus keeps every command why because he has the freedom to do so to do so not bound by sin and so then here's the problem i'm bound by sin i don't do what i want to do i do what i hate who will deliver me from this body of death praise be to god for the spirit of the life of christ has set me free from the law of sin and death Up until the person of Jesus, you don't have the free will to do what's right. Let me say it this way. You don't have the free will. What you find is, is everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Then Jesus comes along and says, you know why I've set you free? For freedom you have been set free. So up to that point, I'm I'm bent, I'm crooked. I don't go the way of Jesus, and then Jesus comes, lives the way I should go, dies in my place, pays my debt, absolves me. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That what we might become the righteousness of Christ. That we may transcend above the culture. We may transcend above our sin nature. We may be resurrected to new life, and now you have the freedom to live the way God's called you to live. Now you have the freedom to go the way of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus made a way where there seemed to be no way, and now he offers his life in exchange for yours and he sends his spirit to make us new that we may live to new life. So when I pray, what is prayer? We've been talking about the difference between prayer and petition. Prayer is the supernatural, tangible way to follow Jesus to live outside of my sin, to live outside of my nature, to live outside of the brokenness of who I know I was, and live to new life. Prayer becomes the way in which you do that. Prayer becomes the way in which you follow Jesus. So when I get to passages like this, and it says, oh how I love your law, Instead, my prayer is I love how you make things work. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. I meditate on you day and night. I think about... How you came and lived and suffered and died for me, that you had a host of enemies encamped about you, desired to eat up your flesh. But this one thing you kept was that you would show us your. Way, and you would offer that way to us. Prayer becomes the ability for me to see beyond myself and to see Jesus for who he is. Why do I pray? I pray so I can see Jesus. What is prayer? Prayer is the vehicle to follow after Jesus. How do I pray? Every single day, nonstop, without ceasing, I think and meditate. I ponder on the work of Jesus. How do I pray? How do I pray? I begin to look and study. I look at what he did. You go, Pastor Sam, like, I don't know that I could, I could see in Psalms 119 all those things. I'm not the pastor. I'm not theologically trained. I don't think I could go through. Could you read the Bible and go, this is not a story about me. This is a story about Jesus. And then I wasn't lazy in my pursuit. I actually looked. What did Jesus actually do? What is it that he did? How did he keep the law? How did he exchange his life? How was he able to be this sacrificial, perfect lamb of God who would be a free will offering to God? For Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he humbled himself himself limited himself, took on the form of a servant, lived a selfless, obedient life unto death, death on a cross. And because of it, God the Father has given Jesus a name which is above every other name, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the praise of God the Father. Jesus is the answer Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the purpose. Jesus is the standard. Not our culture. Not a podcast. See, we're looking down here, we're hoping ancient aliens will come back and show us the way. Why do they say things like that? Because the Bible says he's hidden eternity in our hearts. They know something. That no one will be able to stand. They've heard the truth and they've looked at creation and they will be without excuse because the Word of God is on display through His creation, through the person of Jesus. He has revealed to us His nature so that when I read the Bible, when I look for God and I see the person of Jesus, I don't have to look any further. I can stop and gaze and I'll be without excuse. This is the way. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has for your life. This, this is how he, he has designed you to work. You don't, get to, you don't get to have a different idea for how marriage should work. God has laid it out for us in his work. You don't, you don't get a different idea you don't, you don't, you, how forgiveness works. You you don't get to hold anger against some people and against other people because that's not what Jesus has done with you, friend. But we read this thing and we kind of want a different answer, don't we? You ever find yourself in that? This past past March for my birthday, I. I went to um, to Mammoth. How many of you have been to Mammoth before? Uh, how many how many skiers, snowboarders? Oh, we got to do some recruiting. <laughs> Second service, right? And I I got to Mammoth, and my buddy my buddy Kurt uh, he he had been skiing Mammoth since he was like two years old, and. And my buddy, Kurt, is an incredible athlete. Although the first time I I, I was golfing with Kurt years ago, and uh, he was not playing particularly well on this day, and he was in the sand trap, and, and that's the moment when he's trying to dig out of the beach that I was like, hey, Kurt, did you play any ball in school? He's like, yeah, I played some baseball in high school and in college and was drafted by the Braves in the 90s. I said, what I meant to say, Kurt, was I perceive you to be a professional athlete. Tell me, tell me, tell me what professional sport you played, right? Now, this professional athlete on Mammoth told me that skiing was his best sport. He never got paid to play or paid to ski, but he says that was his best. And I began to see it as I'd be on a run and all of a sudden he would disappear and come off the side of the run and drop down in front of me. And I was like, he is not lying, right? And and, and then I I thought, man, all right, Kurt, I, I got somebody with me who can help me out with it. Like, I want to go to the top. Like, let's go to the top. And, and, and can I just tell you that your pastor lied in this moment because when I went to go to the top, there's this sign that says experts only. And I was like, <laughs> right? Like, I didn't even flinch. I was like, I'm going up, right? And that guy looked at me like, I know you're not supposed to be going on this, right? He looked at me like, you're no expert. And uh, and, and so we go up the lift and we're, we're going to the top of Mammoth and like the and when I tell this story, I was like, we're at the very tip top. And Kurt's like, <laughs> you weren't, but it's close, right? And, and, and I go up to this spot and, and there is, um, off the lift is this spot called Cornice Bowl. How many of you have ever been down? Cornice Bowl. Um, Let me tell you that there's some YouTube videos that you're going to need to watch after this sermon, because you're going to judge me after I tell you what happened. And I want to tell you, there are hundreds of YouTube videos of GoPro footage doing exactly what I did. Okay. So I'm not the only one. I wasn't the only one who lied about getting on the expert lift. Okay. And and I went over to the edge of Cornice Bowl and it bowls up like this. And just over the lip you you kind of have to look because the wind will blow the snow up and it will literally create a vert kind of kind of drop into cornice bowl and and I went over to the edge of cornice bowl and I'm looking I can't even see and I'm like I'm scooting up with my butt just trying to get my edge over this way to look over and I'm like oh my gosh I look up at Kurt I go man so what do you think and And he goes, Hey, just go on your, on your heel side, just go over the edge. And for the first 20 yards, you might end up on your butt, but you're going to be fine after the first 20 yards, but go in slow and stay on your heel side. And I was like, okay. Um, so what do you think? (laughs) And this is the interesting part is when I finally went over the the edge of cornice bowl it was so icy that as soon as i dropped in my edge did not catch i went onto my butt and onto my back and 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 just snow was flying up everywhere i mean people probably thought an avalanche is coming down in march right down down to the main lodge and snow's going up I got a hoodie on because it's so warm so so ice and snow's just going up my back and it wasn't 20 yards I was on my back for probably 50 yards and I finally had to like put my toes into the mountain just to stop and and here comes Kurt (sighs) right and I was like This is going in a sermon, right? (laughs) Like I instantly knew I got to tell this story. This is some story. And we ski back down and I had a fantastic time. I got to the bottom and where Joe uh, very uh, intellectually uh, made a good choice not to go up to the top and probably made the smarter, wiser choice. And he was at the lodge and we we come down and we start telling Joe about the experience. And, And I start telling him about, going down the bowl and 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 what I found was what I thought would be in the story if I told it I I thought it'd be like this it'd be like some cheesy like you know you gotta face your fears and sometimes you'll fall but you gotta get back up right like I I thought so I'm gonna use this story but I don't know how I'm gonna use this story and then Kurt started telling the story from his perspective and I was like did I look nervous he's like oh yeah you look nervous (laughs) So afterwards I'm trying to act like and he's like at one point you asked me the same question three times and you completely ignored that I gave you the exact same answer <laughs> over and over but he said I, I said so what do you think he said you're gonna go down on your your hillside and, and then you're gonna start down the way you're gonna go for the first 20 yards but you're gonna be okay after that and then I said yeah yeah so what do you think and then he said, you're going to go down on your hillside. About the first 20 yards, you might end up on your butt, but after that, you're going to be okay. And I said, yeah, yeah, give me a different answer. <laughs> yeah, 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 tell me something different. Yeah, 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 give me a different answer. And finally, he said, yeah, we could go down a different way off the back. And I, I love what he did. He, he said, did it take a long way? We'll find our way down. But then he went part partly down the run and stopped like you can't get back up from there right like he just edged over and he's like you're gonna have to do this right and I I think about that aspect when we read stuff that's difficult when we read stuff and then we're, we're afraid I think sometimes as believers we're less afraid of what God has for us and we're more afraid of what people will think of us we're less afraid of doing what God has for us. We're more afraid of what people might think of us or what people might do to us. We might be convinced of how it works, but we'll go, yeah, 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 but do you know? Yeah, 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 but you know what they'll say about me? Yeah, 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 but I can't have this idea at work. Yeah, 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 but what will she think? What will he think? Yeah, 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 I know what you said, I know what you did, I know you paid a price and you exchanged it and you show me what life is truly like, but give me a different way. Yeah, 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 but I want a different God. I want him to be named Sam. Yeah, yeah, I want a different God and I want, I want him to be in my image, not yours. How many times do we read this? How many times do we journey in prayer? Let me uh, me say to you, friend, he writes a better story than you do. He's never messed up one time. You know that you continually find yourself trip, stumble, and fall. And here's how you can think about Jesus. I love how you pick me back up and set me on my feet and put me in the right way. I love how you take all the broken, crooked, and corrupt things and you begin to make them new. I love how you've forgiven me. I love how you've restored me. I love how you took away my old life and you didn't count it against me and you give me a new life. I love how you work. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, You've designed us with intention and purpose. You help us work. Like the laws of nature, you've put your law and your way and your truth on our heart. I pray that we would hide your word in our heart or in other words, we would allow the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to shape us and mold us all the more that we might not sin against you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We'll stop looking for a different answer and our prayer journey will be looking at what you've already said, the answers you've already given, the way you've already made. We will follow you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?